we greet you, those here in attendance at Blackwood Baptist Church and those on the live stream. Thankful for the opportunity to be here with you this morning and to share a bit of God's Word. It's interesting sometimes how, uh, how I get messages and uh, able to develop them. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I just need to be a little bit more uh, sensitive to God working. Uh, the, the lesson that Brother Caleb brought this morning, as I, uh, as I heard that, I realized I couldn't preach the message that I had planned, but I'm going to have to preach the one that I wanted to preach this afternoon. Because uh, really, gold, a lot of the points that he brought uh, go hand in glove with this message that I want to bring this after this morning. So you pray for me. Um, it's interesting sometimes again uh, how the Lord works to uh, to show me the things that I need to work in my life. Uh, it's often said that the preacher get the message, the preacher gets the message first before he gets a chance of preaching. And let me tell you something, I've preached this to myself many, many times already, some of the truths in here that I need to apply in my life. Take up your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> this is John received these words from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the first century after the, uh, in the, after the, the, uh, the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And there were seven churches in this, in Ephesus area, in, in Asia Minor, that he directed these messages to and number one to this church at Ephesus. So <clears throat> let's pick up the commentary where Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labors, and thy patience, and how that thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Well, let's stop there for a minute. Now understand that this, this letter was delivered to the church at Ephesus to the pastor, that angel, that when it says the angel of the church at Ephesus, talking about the pastor, and those things are the seven stars, it's talking about the, uh, the seven pastors of those churches, and to walk us in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the churches, the churches that the Lord had built and was ministering to even in this time. And you can imagine that they were in a congregation just like this, and they're hearing this, this commendation. And you can see those people maybe going, yeah, 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 this is good. We're, we're there. We're doing it. We're doing it for the Lord. And in verse 4 it says what? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let's go to the Lord, and then we'll continue. Father God, I thank you for the blessing of your presence in this church. I thank you for the special blessing you've afforded me by the attention you've given me in these past days and weeks as I studied this message. I thank you, God, for the treasure of the gift of my salvation. I thank you for the treasure of my, uh, my church membership. And these are my brothers and sisters I'm pleasured to serve you with. I pray, God, that uh, the Holy Spirit would have recourse to reach into each and every one of our hearts to show us these truths, to understand them, to know them, to believe them, to obey them, and to be blessed by them. I humbly pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, we find recorded only commendations and instructions as in chapter 6, verse 5 of that letter. And I want you to note this now, because he was writing to this church which had the mindset that he wanted them to have. He says, Servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. Mark that. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, mark that. Doing the will of God from the heart, mark that. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, mark that. They received, in effect, strong commendation for the focus and the direction of their individual lives and the ministry of that church. And even though these words were directed specifically those who were in service to a master, it applied to all members of the church as it does to all of us today. The focus of their life of service was to be for the Lord. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, And whatsoever thou doest, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now we see... <clears throat> that at one point in time, the church of Ephesus was right on the same page with the Lord. They were doing what they wanted to be. They were where they needed to be. And God was working through them <clears throat> in great power at that time. But then verse 4 begins, nevertheless. And in that word, the tone of the rest of his address to the church at Ephesus changed dramatically. From condemnation, it now goes to admonition and correction. They had left off their first love, Jesus Christ. It seems that they had lost their zeal for the Lord, the close fellowship with Him, and it may be that at the judgment seat of Christ, where believers will be judged as to reward, these were the kind of works that would be the wood, the hay, and the stubble that would be burned up when they went through the refiner's fire rather than the gold, silver, precious stones that would be the reward for the believer's faithful service that may be fashioned into those spiritual crowns that, we, that the believer then would be honored to be able to put before the Lord's throne. 
And as I wrote this message, I was reminded of the account in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 41. If you would turn over there. Pastor Demlo preached on this, touched on this, a message not too long ago. But we see some things in here, or I saw some things in here that just was slammed home to me about the lesson that, that the Lord wanted to get across to us about this matter of the focus of our service. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it begins, Now it came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Jesus was there as one of their honored guests. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mark that. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her ask, bid her therefore that she help me. Now let's stop there for a minute. There are some things that it's good to implore to the Lord about. It's one thing to ask something of the Lord, but it's another thing to try to tell him to do something. I remember after I was saved, the man that led me to the Lord was a preacher. Uh, and he told me, he said, you know, that might be something that the Lord has in, in store for you someday. And I said, I'll, I told him, I said, I'll do anything for the Lord, but I'll, I'll never preach for you. Well, I learned you don't tell the Lord what to do because he decided he was going to call me to preach, and that was it. It's up to us as believers to hear and obey, trust and obey, and to do his will rather than our will. And so then it says in verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, or full of cares, and troubled about many things. So she was really busy. She was busy, 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 busy. But Jesus said, you're too careful about this. You're too caught up in what you're doing. He says in verse 42, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And so, as I get this picture, I thought on some paintings that I'd seen of this scene from the Renaissance era by some of the masters. And you see Jesus pictured and, and Mary at his feet, you know, looking up at him adoringly, you know, and halos and stuff like this. I wondered, you know, I wondered why Mary maybe wasn't sitting at his side, you know, just, just as close as she could get to Jesus. Well, in her sitting at, her, at his feet, she was showing, showing humbleness of service I don't think she was just looking up at him and, you know. Remember Pastor Demlo around that same time was preaching on how that Jesus came and he washed the feet of his apostles? Teach them about the, the matter of humility and service? Remember, when in the Jewish custom, when, especially when an honored guest came to your home, it was a responsibility of the host to see 
is attending and washing that, that person's feet. I don't know if there was one thing he didn't bring in the message. Most of the time, it was, this was something that was really abhorrent to, you know, in a sense to the Jewish people. If they had a servant that was a Gentile, they would give him that job or else it would be the lowest of their uh, servants that would do that task. You got it? Who was doing it? Mary was doing it. She was one of the householders. She sat at Jesus' feet she washed his feet, and she listened to him. And that is the exact picture that the Ephesian church had in the beginning. They were, they were sitting at Jesus' feet, they were hearing him, and they were serving him from a whole heart. We need to remember that joy principle. J, Jesus first, O, others second, and why yourself last. That's how you can best demonstrate a true servant's heart. Forgive me. I'm finding as I grow older and older, it's getting harder and harder to ma maintain spiritual focus. I wonder if too much of the time I'm more like Martha cumbered about with much service rather than Mary, sitting humbly at Jesus' feet, listening to him, being open to doing whatever he would have me do. So Jesus called these people to repent from this condition that they could be renewed to true fellowship and service for him. And I'm thankful for Brother Caleb's teaching and expanding and, and defining about this matter of repentance. And we'll look at it some yet. But do not fail to note the severity of this offense in God's eyes. He says that he would remove their candlestick or their authority as a New Testament church. Some commentators believe he said that he would just allow them to scatter, they, the church would fall apart. because of their failure to truly follow the Lord. Um, we do know that there's no church in Ephesus today. How long that church abided in Asia Minor, in what's present-day Turkey today, we don't know. It was a springboard that Paul used in going into Europe later on. The church was there, it was viable, it was going strong. But around, when, when, when John wrote this, under the inspiration of God, around 1995 A.D., we know by that time that they'd fallen victim to their own selves, um, to their lack of faith, their lack of trust. They took their eyes off the Lord, and their, the, their works were good. They were commended for that, but they left off remembering who they were really serving and why. This matter of biblical repentance, we'll go back over that again. The Greek word used here is metanao, which literally means a change of mind. In relation to salvation, repentance includes a recognition of wrongdoing together with a decision to move in a different direction, as in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. There needs to be a, a conversion, a change. 
When God said, lest you be born again, you cannot know the kingdom of heaven, that's what it is to be converted. It's to go from a dead in trespasses and sin to have newness of spiritual life. That's what it is to be converted. It comes through repentance and faith, and repentance and faith only. He says, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Do you understand, lost person, that your sins are in a book before God, that He has made a record of every lie every time you've, you've violated His commandments and His word? And He knows everything. I used to think in my lost state that, you know, the sins that I'd done, you know, they got, they got kind of drifted off into the past and they were gone, didn't need to worry about it, but I still was sinning, you know. You know. No, every one of those sins was written in a book right up until the day that I got saved and I was born again up on Younger Creek in the, in the gold mine that we were working at. And at that time when I got saved, he blotted those sins out. They were paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was no longer liable for them. But I had to repent. I had to turn from the way that I was going in my life. I had to turn from the selfishness that I had in living for myself. I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The full, that's the full title of our Savior, you know. The Lord, He's our Master. Jesus Christ talks about Him as being the anointed Savior, and He's the only one. Also, it says in, in Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, <clears throat> Paul says that he was giving his testimony, okay? A testimony is something that we know to be absolutely true. If you go into a court of law, they don't ask you to give your, what you think was right, what you think you saw or something, maybe. You can't suppose about something, you have to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And they used to say in that, so help you God. I don't think that they do that anymore to the, the shame of our courts. But he gives this testimony both to the Jews and to the Greeks, all, all uh, non-Jews, repentance towards God, that's looking to God and seeking, opening up to, opening up to God. It's manning up. It's womaning up. It's boying up. It's girling up. What do you understand something? If you're old enough to hear this message, if you're old enough to understand that you're that you're you're liable for the times that you sinned against God, if you're old enough to understand the truth of that the wages of sin is death, that which you've got coming for violating God's word. When, he, when God says, be ye holy as I am holy, that's to every individual walking on the face of the earth. He says, be as perfect as I am perfect. That's the standard that he has set. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't get there on our own. That's why God sent Christ to be our Savior. Because from the first time that you came to be accountable for your sin... The first time you told that lie, the first time that you dishonored, you disobeyed your mother and your father, the first time that you stole something, the first time that you had a lust against somebody that wasn't your, 
your spouse or your, your husband or your wife, you became guilty before God and God demands a payment. He says that the wages of sin, that which we've got, for we get coming for our sin, is death. Death in the Bible is pictured as <clears throat> the separation of the soul and spirit from God. <clears throat> it's also pictured as the, in, uh, the separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Okay? That occurs the moment in time that we die, the soul and spirit. Here's the picture, okay, here, here you got it. Now watch and listen up. Each and every one of us is there as on a, is on a thread. <clears throat> okay? When the soul and spirit leaves the physical body at the point of death, it's going to go to one of two places. <clears throat> You'll be born up to heaven if you've been born in the family of God, or it's going to be born straight to the fires of hell in the middle of the earth. Gravity's going to win. It's going to take you right to the straight to the fires of hell. Why? Because it has violated God's word. God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's going to be separated from me. And it will be eternally separated from him when, the, when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire in the time of the, the, <coughs> of the Christ's return, the final judgment. It's a good thing you set this up here and not that little cup. I wouldn't have made her. Again, a testimony is something you know personally to be true, and that's what Paul was testifying about. People, regardless of their national origin, uh, their age, their sex, can be saved through repentance and faith and the message of the gospel, which concerns the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find the first example of this offering of repentance to a guilty sinner in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles there, hold your place here in Revelation and go to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis is often called one of the foundational book of the Bible. It certainly is because it contains everything in here that we need to, to found a relationship with God and to know and to serve Him. But we know the account, Adam and Eve were created in perfection. They disobeyed God in, in uh, well, they disobeyed God. And they died spiritually immediately. And the sentence of death was upon them in the physical sense. But God in his mercy made a way for them to be, to be, to be saved through the, the, the promise that God would be their sin bearer, be their deliverer. But in the process of time, they had children, they grew up. And then we pick up the commentary in, in uh, Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says there, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She thought perhaps this was going to be the one, the promise that would be the deliverer uh, for the sin of the people in that world then. It wasn't. And she said, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. 
But Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground as an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is that countenance fallen? Now, now here it is. He said, this is God speaking to, to Cain now personally. He said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. What, he, what the Lord, what God was asking of him was to obey what he knew to do. He had been raised and he'd seen the examples of his mother and father, uh, Adam and Eve. He'd seen that acted out as, as, they, as the families grew, children were born, they were taught and they heard the account of how they had disobeyed God, how they, the sentence of death came upon them that God in his mercy made a way for them to be saved through the death, the shedding of blood of an innocent sacrificial victim that he himself would perform in time. The picture that Adam and Eve believed that was that, remember the colts of skins, they were naked before him, they tried to cover themselves with their works. That's the natural thing, you know, when a lost person, when, a, when they start thinking about, you know, their spiritual destiny, about the burden of their sin, the responsibility for sin, it's, it's, it's to work the way right with God. Do this, do that. That's why, the, that's, why, that's why this cultural Christianity is so successful. Because it mainly appeals to the flesh. Do this, do this, do this. Go to church, read your Bible a little bit. Don't get caught for any serious crimes. Don't get caught cheating on your taxes. You'll be good to go. Why? Well, there's no true repentance, no change of mind about sin and self that results in a change of life. Well, here he says, he, God says to him, if thou knowest to do well, well, why didn't he? Why didn't he? Well, he'd heard what to do, but he decided that he was going to take of his works, his fruits of the ground, which was good stuff, there's nothing wrong with it, but the manner that he came seeking to, to picture uh, what God did for him and the world, it was, it was invalid. You see, the way of salvation is God's way or no way. Abel knew what to do. He was a saved man, and he acted out what he knew in worship and service and in, uh, to, to his God. And God, you know, is he's 100% fair here. He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. So God was saying, if you repent and do the right thing that you know to do, I'll accept that. But if you don't, know that sin lieth at your door. You're responsible for it, buddy. You're responsible 
for your sin and you know what it cost your mother and your father. But you know, people can be stubborn. Stubborn as a mule, they say. People can be stubborn, animals can be stubborn. You know, I've got, I've got two rescue cats. And here a while ago, I made them some nice, nice little beds out of some old cushions. And they dived on them, and they loved it, and they were, you know. But then they started getting kind of ratty, so I went and put some, put them in, stuffed them in some, uh, some old pillowcases. And I put them down, you know, I thought, man, they're going to love this. They go over by them, looked at them, wouldn't touch them. So I said, hey, I'll show you guys. So I went a week. Two weeks, a month, two months. And I'll, then I finally figured out. I took the, took, the cush, took the pillowcases off and they went and dived right on them. And they, and they loved it, you know. <laughs> I guess I showed them. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, well, you see, the way people can be, the way animals can be, Animals can get by with those things, but, but people can't. You can, you can stiffen your neck against the things of God. You can choose. You see, it's about a choice. It's all about choices. Repentance and faith. As Caleb taught, to believe is to put your faith and your trust. To make that choice to say yes to God. To say, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I have a measure of accountability before God. I'm asking forgiveness. That's what God wanted from, all, all that he wanted to hear from, from Cain was, forgive me, God. I'm trusting you. I'll do what you've commanded me to do. Well, God, he asked, God asked him to confess and Cain knew what was required of him, but he refused to do it. And then God reminding him he was being merciful and gracious and giving him an opportunity to be renewed. And the principle, again, of Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, the soul that sinneth it shall die, is as valid as it is today, then, uh, today as it was then. So um, another example of repentance, and perhaps the most dramatic in the Bible, certainly the most extensive, we find in Ezekiel chapter 18. Take your Bible and turn over there now. Ezekiel chapter 18, we're going to pick up the commentary. And if you read this whole chapter, you'll see that this, this chapter is um, it's about personal accountability for sin and the way for that sin to be forgiven. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it begins, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And if you'd read that chapter, you'd see that that verse was repeated earlier in the, in the chapter. It's repeated again because God wanted to get it across to you and to me and everybody that reads that chapter in God's word, that they'd understand this is the very truth. You can say that's not true. You can, you can make the choice to not believe it. 
Disbelieving the truth doesn't negate it, nor does believing a lie make it true. So if you're trusting in your works to get to heaven, you're believing a lie, you're going to be accountable for your sin. Okay. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It'll be separated from God. The Bible says the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. It doesn't get any clearer than that. The righteous are those that are right with God and having a personal relationship with him. The wicked are all those who don't. Verse 21, but, okay, but if, that's a conditional statement there, we're, we're starting, if, if the wicked will turn from all his ways that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do all that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And so what God is saying, if you'll repent and if you do what my, what my law what the Bible says. He's not, he's not saved by works, but he's, he's saying you need to keep the things that I put in my book. To confess your sins. To seek forgiveness. It shall be given you. He says in all, verse 22, all his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure uh, at all from the wicked, that the wicked should die, saith the Lord, and not that he should return from his ways and live. That, that's repentance. Return. Turn from your ways. Turn from sin. And turn into God. Down to verse 30. Therefore, remember, when you see that word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. It's like drawing the bottom line on a sum of figures. You draw the bottom line, you're going to come to a conclusion. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, whether you've made the choice to believe or whether you've made the choice not to believe. <clears throat> judge every one of you according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Jehovah Elohim. He is the Lord God, the Creator, the Master, the Savior, the all in all God. And then he lays it out again. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions so iniquity shall not be your ruin. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin are death. What does it say? Turn from your ways or you're going to pay for your sin. And he says, make the choice. Make the choice. Repentance is a choice. Believing is a choice. He says, verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions. God's transgressions speak about how that we've exceeded the standard that God has set. That we have broken his commandments. We've lied, we've stole, we've cheated. We've come short of the glory of God. He said, for while ye die, for while will ye die, O house of Israel, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord, wherefore? What? Turn yourselves and live ye. 
The way of salvation has always ever been the same from, from the Garden of Eden till the very moment that we stand here before you. And even when you read in this book of Revelation, it's going to be proclaimed by the angels about the everlasting gospel. I have, I, I got a bone with, I, I remember one time when I, I, you know, was in the jail preaching for about 20, uh, 15 years, I can't remember. I didn't go in there to, and Pastor Humphrey, we didn't go in there preaching cotton candy. Cotton candy religion doesn't get you anywhere. It might taste good, but it's got nothing to it. You'd go in there and you'd try to preach hard on the gospel. And one time this guy comes to me and says, you, you know, you just preach the gospel all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Why do you do that? And I just told him what I read of an old Baptist preacher. He said, I'll preach the gospel until either I die or everybody gets saved. Because that's all that makes any difference in this existence. When you get it boiled down to, it's not about what's in your bank account or how good looking you are. It's about your relationship with God. Because that's what's going to affect where you go in eternity. <clears throat> eternity is not the end of time. Eternity is time without end. Those that know God and have known God as their Savior in heaven will never know a bad day. Heaven's a wonderful place. You know, I've been, I've been challenged about some health things and stuff like that, and I thought more about dying. And there's just flat some days I said, I wish I could just go and be with the Lord. I know it's going to be wonderful. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. With that last heartbeat, with that last breath, when that soul and spirit departs this body, it's going to go. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. I believe the Bible 100%. I'm going to tell you right now, people, if there's another way to get to heaven than through the shed blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ain't getting there because I put all my faith and trust in him for now and eternity. I won't compromise what I believe and I won't compromise my testimony for anybody, for anything. And Ezekiel proclaimed this truth and he held it up before the people then and we hold it up before people today. So, I didn't tell you what I titled this message. But if you go back up into your text, Jesus said, repent or else. You got it? You back looking there? He says, repent, and then he talks to him, or else. There was something that was going to happen. They were going to be punished if they didn't repent. You understand? Is that what it says? Or does it say something different? The, the importance of repentance is shown by the emphasis put on it in, that's put on it in scriptures. And again, if I said, the salvation of souls, men, women, boys and girls, and youth, it's all about repentance and faith. If you're old enough to understand that your sins You've broken God's law. 
you stand liable for punishment for breaking his law? If you understand the reality of heaven, if you understand the reality of hell, the Bible says in John 3.18 that the lost person is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You picture this, in this, in this, in this world of these billions and billions of people, most of them are lost and they don't know it. They're locked up in belief systems. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, all these isms of Protestantism, any, any religion that contains not the gospel of Christ is a damning religion. Satan isn't against religion, he's just against Christ. Satan's happy with any religion, anything that people put their faith in and belief in, except Christ. His desire is that, Jesus' desire is that all would come to him in repentance and receive the gift of everlasting life. Satan's desire is that all would deny Christ and end up in hell with him. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 3 now. We're going to look at the ministry of John the Baptist. <coughs> Matthew chapter 3. Go ahead and get over here. Again, well, it's important to pay attention to the, to the red letters, the words of Jesus. There's also mountains and mountains and mountains of doctrinal truth contained in the, in the, in the rest of Scripture. Okay, we'll pick up the, let's read, uh, what do we got going here? Let's read uh, 1 through 9. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here, right now, available to you. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey, and then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. And so <clears throat> the word of God, the word that he was preaching, repentance, was reaching out. You know, they didn't have telephone, telegraph, and uh, cell phones, but the word of God was getting out by word of mouth. You need to get down there and hear this guy. He's got something to say, and it's important. The verse 6 says, And they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now do you understand? God's wrath is him acting out his justice 
upon the lost individual, upon the lost world. It said verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for what? Repentance. And he says, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He says, and now unto the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the sown. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. That's the Lord Jesus, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat, that's believers, into his garner, and he will burn up the chaff, that's the lost unbelievers, with unquenchable fire. So, <clears throat> He begins there 